You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. It was kind of like a game of battleship where you know the person is calling squares that are close to where your battleship is. You're hoping they will miss. But you know they're getting close. That's something like how Alexander Butterfield might have felt in 1973 as the Watergate Committee's counsels asked him questions. As Nixon's deputy chief of staff, he knew that he held a great secret. That secret was a taping system, and not just as many suspect, a little tape recorder in a drawer where the president was recording some conversations, or even like Lyndon Johnson's crude dictaphone that the secretaries would operate on some of the phone call. He was aware of a sophisticated, voice-activated taping system with fairly good fidelity. It was like a bug, except President Nixon had bugged himself. Watergate's already been in the news. Now the Senate and the House Joint Committee are investigating in 1973. They've got John Dean, who was the previous White House counsel. He's revealing some of the cover-up going on in the White House. Butterfield goes in to be investigated. I won't mention the tapes, Butterfield's thinking. I won't mention the taping system that I set up. But if they ask on a direct question, he decides. He's under oath. The Republican counsel on the committee, the minority counsel, had planned to bring up some questions about John Dean's advice to Nixon in order to make Dean seem like the villain, to seem like not the president of the United States, but his renegade counsel was behind the cover-up. So Fred Buzzhart had provided a summary of the Nixon-Dean meeting to try to be helpful to the president. Scott Armstrong gets it. And Scott Armstrong is the Democratic counsel on the Watergate committee. And what strikes them about it is, wait a second, it's not so much what's in this document, but why are there verbatim quotes in it? Who did this transcript? In room 6334 of a congressional office building, Butterfield goes into this small committee room. No senators, just staff. Not a high-priority interview. He hasn't seen this memo, but he's asked about it. How did this come about? Was the president's recollection good? No, but sometimes he would take notes. How often, the lawyer asks. 
Now, Butterfield's worrying a little bit. If he says that Nixon writes notes like a diary, they will try to get it. Oh, not that often. Were these notes that he wrote detailed? No, Butterfield said, I don't think so. Well, where else might this have come from? Now, Butterfield, years later, I'm mildly panicking right now. I'm stalling for time. Ironically, the Democratic Council, the one that would seem to be the most out to get Nixon, is nowhere near thinking about a taping system. He would reveal when he's interviewed in 1989 that in this meeting with Butterfield, he thought he'd discovered a new filing system, paper records, and might have to offer a new subpoena to get them. It's the Republican counsel, Donald G. Sanders, in the room, who's the one who asked the critical question. Was there ever any kind of taping system in the president's office? Butterfield realizes that he's now got the direct question. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that question. Yet he was likely not truthful in this answer because a Journal of American History article years later and in his interview with Bob Woodward in 2014 revealed that he was not unhappy that the truth came out. I didn't feel I had to protect Nixon, he said then. I didn't have a motive, but I preferred that the truth came out. Butterfield hoped, uh, now having made his revelation, that it still would not be on him, but would kind of be used as background for the Watergate committee, hopefully to ask his boss at the time, Haldeman, to put him on the spot. The next scene was out of a movie. Capitol Police in a phalanx around him. So you walk down the long marble halls of Congress. You can hear those shoe steps into the Senate caucus rooms. The doors swing open and enters Butterfield. They swear him in. Most of America is glued to this uh, Watergate hearing at this point, and they've actually canceled you know, a lot of regular TV programming. And all of a sudden, flashes on the screen, mystery witness next. And it's Butterfield. He tried to avoid appearing before the committee, but the committee threatened to call marshals if he didn't show up. And Fred Thompson, yes, the late presidential candidate, future presidential candidate, and law and order actor, questioned him and asked the critical question. Are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office? I was aware of listening devices, yes, sir. History was changed. Watergate went from a kind of a little headache for the president to the discovery of the evidence that would potentially impeach Nixon and force his resignation a year later. It also went from a congressional committee that had one good witness, but that witness's credibility was starting to get tarnished a bit, to having a much larger scandal. After he acknowledges the existence of the taping system, he tempers it with, 
I believe the president was innocent. He didn't really, but he didn't want to burn the bridge anymore. The Last of the President's Men by Bob Woodward, a book about his interview with Alexander Butterfield, was published by Simon & Schuster, and I'm indebted to Simon & Schuster for, for sending it my way. Watergate's one of those things that you'd think there would be nothing else to talk about. And yet, maybe sometimes the hardest thing to look for is right under your nose, and there was Butterfield. And all of these years later, he talks to Bob Woodward. And we have it in a book called The Last of the President's Men. It made no big splash. There's so much else going on. People should take a second look. Some people who follow Watergate a lot know the name Alexander Butterfield, and but he's not one of the, the most well-known uh, figures, even though it was he that revealed the taping system. It's totally subject to chance. This is what's crazy about it. Haldeman did not have, like, Butterfield in his thoughts, like, I gotta have this guy as my assistant. He wasn't like so many other Nixon people, people who have worked with him in the law firm in New York or as vice president, people that had a long-standing loyalty to him. You know, Haldeman was the campaign manager for Nixon's run in 1962 for California governor. But Haldeman just happens to be in Australia of all places, and so is Butterfield. He's a colonel in the Air Force. He's looking to get a little bit higher in the Air Force ranks, and Haldeman was a college friend of his. And Haldeman remembers Butterfield, and Butterfield asks if he could be of any help in getting him a better assignment. He doesn't want to be stuck in the Air Force in in the Australia assignment, and Haldeman says, I can do one better. We need, he knew that he was a military man and had been aides to other people. I need somebody capable to be my number two. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. So he went from nowhere to being deep inside one of the most secretive and well-managed White Houses. It was so odd that in Bob Haldeman's own diary, he speculated that Butterfield might have well been a plant. And just imagine if you're sitting in an office and and, and this was Butterfield's situation and there's a buzzer. And when that buzzer goes off, it's Richard Nixon. That was the job that he had. Nixon was a difficult boss, a petty person. 
and hard often to understand. Haldeman's rule, however, was never to ask the president to repeat himself. Now, this leads to some interesting and difficult times. Uh, Butterfield, who is a colonel in the Air Force who served as an aide to a defense secretary and to high-ranking Air Force generals, describes this as his hardest job. Never repeat, never ask the president to repeat himself, Haldeman insisted on, even though the president was known to kind of mumble and not make clear statements. Uh, One of Butterfield's job was to to insist that pictures of President Kennedy be removed from the executive office building offices. Nixon had heard that people still have Kennedy pictures there. Why not? A revered president. There's pictures of him all over America still. But he didn't want them in 1969 in the EOB office. Butterfield tries to ignore it. That's not going to work in the Nixon White House. Haldeman says, this has been delayed a month. And the president asks about it once a week. Where are we with this? So he had to actually go and find out the people that had Kennedy pictures and ask them at the president's behest to take them down. And eventually he does, and people grudgingly do, and he confirms that it's all done. Butterfield enriches the Watergate story by talking about the other dirty tricks that were going on at the time that Nixon was aware of. He directly confirms Nixon's involvement in other schemes, such as putting a spy onto Ted Kennedy's Secret Service detail as he campaigned, as he went out campaigning with McGovern. Butterfield was the one who set it up. Given what happened to the other Kennedys, Rose Kennedy asked the president directly for help with extra secret service protection. Nixon agreed but also put a spy in the Secret Service group. We know this because Butterfield confirms it on the Nixon tapes. He tells Nixon, it's all done. Another time he was to refresh the enemies list to be sure that no one from that list was visiting the White House and to insist that reporters that they didn't like would be removed. When the president of Harvard, who was on the list, showed up for a ceremony with Pat Nixon, Nixon buzzed Butterfield and demanded that he never be allowed again. What's the use of having this list if one didn't follow it? Anyone who wants to pursue a kind of revisionist look of Nixon as just kind of being caught up in events and maybe had the one bad Watergate event where he covered it up, but generally speaking, he wasn't involved in this stuff. I think Butterfield is a good figure to tie it together. Butterfield talks about how Haldeman and Nixon were so interested in the Arthur Bremer matter, that is the shooter of George Wallace, and they were so mad at Butterfield for not getting that news and all the information on Bremer to Nixon in a timely fashion. But they wanted to break in to Arthur Bremer's apartment and to try to put democratic literature in his apartment, but that the time had run out. Though Butterfield knew of the taping system, he didn't know much else about Watergate or the cover-up. He wasn't involved in that. Even as the number two man, Haldeman kept him out of a lot. He discovered Watergate and the burglary like everybody else on TV. But he and the other aides in the White House, when they heard the news about the break-in in the Watergate, he knew immediately that Nixon knew about it. 
They can't say how, but they knew that Nixon knew everything that was going on. And it gives you some insight into at least the people working in that White House and how they viewed it. I think the other question Butterfield adds to history is there's always been a question about why Nixon taped himself and told no one, but Butterfield hauled him in, the, the aide and the Secret Service. I mean, Butterfield helps resolve this. It was for history. It was Nixon's desire to have a record of his positive news. He, he thought that the media was so against him that the history was going to look terrible because all that was on record was how bad he was. So he wanted, when he had a success, he wanted that to be recorded. You know, Early in the presidency, before the taping system's installed, they have like a really good meeting with some business leaders. And, he's like, and Nixon said something in effect of, see, that should be recorded for history. And so they set it up. He didn't feel that academics would treat him well. And Butterfield has no other thought than that that was the reason for the taping system that he set up. We always think of people as being in two minds, right? Especially the way that we view politics as, as partisans first and examiners later sometimes. You know, you're either with us or against us. You're either for the president or against the president. But Butterfield's one of these interesting people who was right there in between. If those investigators did not ask him the question about the taping system, he never would have answered it. And he didn't volunteer any information. Yet when they asked, he decided to be completely truthful. And he's also right there in the middle of his personal feelings about Nixon. He wasn't somebody who was out to get him, and he wasn't somebody to protect him. He was right in the middle. He had, after some bumps in the road working for him in the beginning, developed a fondness for Nixon, kind of understood him really well. He was the number two Felt he did some good things. On the other hand, he also felt him to be rude, had no idea like why a guy like this would be involved in politics when he really was uncomfortable with people. He had never seen the kind of rudeness that Nixon displayed to staff, even though he had worked in the military uh, for high-ranking Air Force generals and for Secretary of Defense. So that kind of bit him a little. Didn't make him so bitter that he wanted to turn in the Nixon White House or anything like that. There is something else that sticks in his crown. It's something that's revealed through the Butterfield files and something that should be part of the Nixon history. And that's what he calls the zilch memo. And in other words, it's where Nixon reveals that the bombing in Cambodia and Vietnam was accomplishing zilch. They were getting nothing out of it whatsoever. It wasn't making the North Vietnamese effort any less. It wasn't helping soldiers on the ground. It wasn't making them come to the negotiating table. It was doing zilch. But he also knew that polls were showing that every time there was a bombing campaign, GOP voters in particular liked it. That's something that Butterfield stored and something that didn't give him a very favorable view of the president. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. 
the nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Even though, unlike John Dean, he didn't turn against the White House, he was forced to answer under oath. He still paid a bit of a price for revealing the existence of the taping system and not being ultimately loyal. Al Haig, a Nixon loyalist to the end, would block him getting a job in the Reagan administration. Even as he would go around, and, and Butterfield is a former Air Force colonel, um, even as he would go around and see old Air Force friends, some of them would not talk to him anymore because of just this merely role in revealing something over under oath. More than that, he was fired as FAA administrator during the Ford administration. And it was for something, there was an airplane crash, but it was the kind of thing where it was obvious that that was an excuse for a firing they wanted to do. So that point I bring up, because I think it brings a little interesting insight that Ford and still some of the people that were in the Ford White House were still none too happy about those that weren't loyal to the GOP administration. And there was some enforcement of loyalty even after Nixon was gone. The whole Butterfield story does demonstrate that in a White House, there are many people who play roles. And when a scandal hits that's kind of poisonous, you just never know. The White House changes, and the May Day is called, and you kind of never know who may be your kind of Butterfield and who may be your kind of John Dean. So you have the people who are like your John Deans who are going to turn and when there's a scandal, run for the hills and try to save themselves. And, and you're going to have those people. There are also people who, in any scandal, may be more of a Butterfield. Not disgruntled, but not an all-out loyalist either. Somebody who plays a role in the scandal, in the investigative phase. He's not going to lie, and he's going to be involved enough to be able to substantiate some information. The Congress has one powerful role in investigations and subpoena power, but they're not omnipotent. Often, a cooperative, if not friendly, witness is needed for Congress to do its investigative function into the executive branch. We saw in the Iran-Contra scandal we discussed a few episodes ago where there was, Congress had limited itself. There were a whole bunch of reasons. Didn't really want to have the appetite to go over Reagan, go after Reagan in that way. But also, witnesses weren't being cooperative in the way that it happened with Watergate. So it's something to keep out for. You never know in any White House where a Butterfield might be. I want to thank you for listening. The website is www. The website is www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com. I got a couple links there. You can follow us on Twitter 
at my hist at m y h i s t giving out some good little history tidbits there so definitely follow us on twitter premium podcast lots of bonus episodes we just did one on the other side of this whole we're talking about the nixon white house we did a podcast on the 1972 campaign of George McGovern and the Thomas Eagleton affair and everything that happened with his resignation from the ticket mid-election. So sign up for the premium podcast. It can be as low as $2 a month. We may be increasing that price soon, so join up now. Um, There are other memberships available if you want to help out the program more. Thanks for listening. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.